you would open in your Bible to Joshua chapter 5, we're going to look at 13. And it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, uh, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. You may be seated. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord keeps taking me back to Joshua for some reason. Now, I've brought, you know, the story of Joshua over the pulpit before. There's a different spin, a little bit more to the story. We're going to be a little bit more detailed today because I believe, um, like the Apostle Paul believed, uh, when he said that, uh, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about how the Old Testament can be used for our admonition. Uh, in layman's terms, that means we can use the Old Testament's examples to make us better. We can learn from their examples. Where they tripped, man, there's a lot of fabulous faces here today. I'm sorry. I keep seeing folks that I'm really happy to see in church today. Um, so I believe that we can use the Old Testament and I believe that in the book of Joshua, there is a parallel story in a way, in a sense, with our story as a church, as Calvary Christian Fellowship, right? Joshua was the one commissioned to take the Israelite people into the promised land, which we know as Canaan. Everybody say amen. amen. If you don't know the story, read the book. Book of Joshua. Joshua is the one that was commissioned, who came after Moses, to carry them through, to bring them into the new spot, if you will. Amen? Now, consultants get paid handsomely to give their experience and expertise, right, to corporations, to companies, to schools, to whatever, to businesses. And so where can you get better expertise or experience than the Holy Bible? For as little as $2.00. You can have the wisdom of the ages in your hand. Amen? Let's go to the Word. Now, Joshua is a fascinating character. Um, he and Caleb, you know the names? I know you know the names. Joshua and Caleb. Some of us name our children after them. Joshua and Caleb were selected to spy out the promised land. If you know what the promised land is in the Bible, raise your hand real quick. All right. So the Jews were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. We are going into our own place that we're going to own. We are no longer going to be renting. And it encourages me every time I hear Pastor Anel to talk about it, even on the, uh, on the big screen here. I feel like we're at the Grammys and somebody's uh, accepting an award while they're on tour in, I don't know, New Rochelle. 
But I'm really excited, man. I can't hide it. I can't contain it. I'm, I'm stirred up. Because something awesome happens when you own something. There's extra blessing. There's extra everything. And as Christians, we have promises that we can bank on. And we can be expecting a lot of extra when we get across the street and down the block. So Josh and Caleb spied out the land, and they were the only two. And they were both from the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes, both from the tribe of Judah, that came back and said, we can take it. Everybody else said, "Uh, we're like grasshoppers. There are giants in the land, and we're going to get squished. But Josh and Caleb believed God. They saw the giants too, right? The other spies saw something completely different. Josh and Caleb saw giants that could be conquered because of God. The others just saw giants and pooped their pants. I'm sorry. Is it okay to say that? (laughs) Amen. Joshua was old school. Everybody say old school. In fact, Josh was a uh, a relic from the transference of the Israelite people from Egypt um, in the midst of the Exodus into the promised land. Now, Joshua was a little bit different in that he survived the trip, everybody else died off. Do we know that part of the story? Everybody that came out of slavery, traveled through the desert, through the wilderness, God carried them through, performed ridiculous miracles, 10 times better than Hollywood could produce. I'm serious. Crazy stuff. He made it through the wilderness as one of the originals, as one of the relics. So he had seen firsthand, I'll do that without glasses on, he had seen firsthand the things that God had done. He had the experience of God showing up. I said he had the experience of seeing God show up. Sometimes just in the nick of time. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes just in the nick of time. How many times have we seen God show up just in the nick of time. I know I have. Now, in the midst of all of this, Joshua was dependent on God. Right? Everybody say dependent. Our world seems to put... Oh, that's good water. A very negative twist. And you can put a negative twist on the word dependency. Right? But when it comes to God, the word dependency is a very good thing. Amen? When it comes to God, being dependent on God actually yields miracles and privileges, wondrous things. Whereas dependency on the world and its other stuff and maybe even your titles and degrees and money and whatever else you may be dependent on. That's not looking too hot. See, God, God is not impressed with what we have or what we think we can do. God is just looking for somebody to use to do awesome things through. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Joshua was dependent on God for his deliverance from slavery as found in Exodus 7 through 12, right? God produced plagues and the Passover. How many of us ever read that little pa- those passages about the 10 plagues? Scary stuff. Incredible stuff on such a huge and amazing scale that even in our human minds, we couldn't comprehend it. Uh, sores and boils and frogs and all kinds of water turning into blood like ridiculous. But when God's people are involved, God is going to fight for his children. Amen? And then finally, the, the Pesach. If we were Jewish, we would say Pesach. The Passover, where God released what he released, took all of the firstborn of, of Egypt, and, uh, and through that very last one, the people of uh, Israel were able to get away. He depended on his deliverance from recapture. Pharaoh was hot on their tail. They got to the Red Sea. Where were they going? Unless God had intervened. They walked by on dry land. How ridiculous is that? But true. And archaeologists are finding out many things that are from the Bible are true nowadays. Uh, I watched the History Channel now that I have it again, which also actually gave me a free Kindle Fire. We're moving on up. Sorry. Yeah, Nate and, and Pastor use their little tablets to preach, and I'm like, man, I look like a dweeb with paper. So I got my tablet too, but I brought paper as a backup. <laughs> just in case. Uh, God, uh, Joshua was dependent on God even for his food. While they were in the wilderness, God produced bread, or they called it manna from heaven. Dependency. Joshua depended on God for his clothing. At one point, God promised them that their clothing would not wear out, nor did it, and that their feet would not swell and boil. Who's ever walked through a desert? That's right. And if you had, you could have stood up quick and said, my feet is killing me, son. Because your feet would be boiled and swollen. But God prevented it. Their clothing never wore out while they were traveling through the wilderness. Who knows how long that was? That's right, 40 years. 40 years. I have some ties that are like 10 years old, and they are dilapidated. But 40-year-old pants? Come on. But that's God. Check this one out. Joshua depended on God for health and healing. How many physicians were hanging around the wilderness? Not too many. In fact, God provided a way out for them when they were in the wilderness from snake attacks and snake bites. God had given them a copper serpent. Check this out. Every time they got bit by a rattlesnake or whatever venomous snakes were in the desert, you would simply turn and look at the snake, the copper snake, and you'd be instantly healed. Check that out. Somebody say, check that out. Look at your neighbor and say, where's my copper snake? Joshua depended on the Lord for his victories in battle. There was a a war against the Amalekites, and Moses was the guy that was supposed to hold his arms up. 
And when he held his arms up in the battle, the Israelites would prevail over the Amalekites. When his arms started to fall, they would start to lose on the battlefield. I don't know if we've ever read that story. And who was it, Aaron and, and Ben-Hur? <laughs> Just joking. Anyway, they, they held up the arms, held up his arms, and they continued to prevail over the, the Amalekites. Check this one out. Let, let's see how Hollywood could top this one. He depended on God for direction. How many of us depend on God for direction? Now, it's a little, a little bit different now because we're living in the uh, dispensation of grace. Now we have that amazing, almighty, powerful, incredible, ridiculous God living on the inside. But back in that day, God had to do things a little bit differently. So to give them direction on where to go, he was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud in the sky by day. And they were able to follow and get to where there was food and plenteousness. They got to an area where all the water was really bitter. And Moses said, don't worry, God got this. He touched the water and it was good to drink. This is real stuff. These are the ways that Joshua depended on God. Everybody say depending on God. Now, if you've been a good, if you've been a Christian for any uh, length of time, right, you will find that, um, and, and you've never had to depend on God, then I think there may be something wrong. I think there may be, and in fact, I think Naisha was kind of preaching my message <laughs> a little bit a while ago. Oh, let me also just say that this message actually started as a word that I got on Wednesday for Naisha. So I'll speak to you at the end of the service. But on Wednesday, we were actually here praying, um, and the Lord gave me a word for Naisha, and, and the ladies that were standing in the circle of me, with me, I kind of started laughing a little bit, and I didn't explain what happened. And they all looked at me like, this brother is crazy. But I actually got a word. That's what that weirdness was. God is good. So if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've never had to depend on God, then there's a problem. There's a problem. Somebody say there's a problem. You see, because when you're a Christian, when you are born again of the water and of the Spirit, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside, you now have the authority to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. I said, when you're truly born again of the water and of the Spirit, you have authority to tear up his, old world, his whole world. You have authority to be a pain, a royal pain in his you-know-what. Now, I'm joking around, but I'm serious at the same time. And if you are not being a pain in his butt, then there's something wrong. You're not doing anything worth his attention. Whenever you're moving toward God or have a relationship with God, you're going to find yourself in opposition in some way, in some way shape, or form. Right? The, we live in a dual dimension. There's the spirit realm and the natural realm. The spirit realm is one that we cannot see. The natural realm is what we can swing at. 
Well, how do you fight at what you can't swing at? How do you fight something you can't swing at? Well, that's the spirit dimension that God takes care of. Do something worth his attention. Amen? By the way, anybody catch the Yankee game this week? I'm sorry, it's just kind of... They lost? Who saw that game? Oh, man, don't put your hands up. (laughs) I just want to say we were at corporate prayer here on Wednesday. And you should have been here because we won. (laughs) Just as a side note, I was surrounded by women. There's a problem here. There's a lot of brothers sitting in here, and I know there were a few downstairs because they were meeting for the battle cry, but where are my brothers at? There was about six, seven faithful, mighty women of God shaking the earth, and I was happy to be with them, but I couldn't help thinking, where are my brothers at, man? What the problem is? Anyway, I don't have anything against the Yankees, but the first and third Wednesday night, of every month, Dr. R.T. Kendall, a, uh, a preacher who was the senior pastor of Westminster Church, that's a rough word to say, Westminster Church in London, did I say that right? Abadia, abadia, abadia. He, uh, I actually went to a seminar, the ministers of our church went to a seminar where he taught on the art of preaching, right? Didn't really work for me too well because... I'm still whack at it. But anyway, he actually told us a very interesting story that moved me, that shook me, that made me feel like, oh, man, what are we doing? He shared a story that there had recently been a pastor visiting from the Orient. I can't remember if it was China or Korea. Um, If one of you guys can remember, tell me which one it was. But it was definitely either China or Korea. And he said this pastor was a pastor of, like, one of the largest churches in the world. I think there's, like, Korea. Okay. So there's, like, what, 300,000 people in that church? Plus. <laughs> Crazy. So he visited the U.S., and uh, some of the pastors, you know, decided to bring him to visit, you know, the, the mega churches of the United States. And he visited a few, and, you know, and, of course, we as Americans, we feel like, We're bigger and better than everybody else in the universe. We've got these wonderful, massive churches with all of this uh, computerized gadgets, you know, pulpit that will cook breakfast for you, pews with warmers in the seats and and that spin and rotate, that blow dry your hair during the service, (laughs) right? And they're taking this pastor to see these amazing churches and... I, I think it may have been R.T. Kendall who asked him the question and said, hey, now that you've visited our churches in the U.S., what do you think? How do you feel about what you saw here? And he said the pastor just stood there and just smiled and, and shook his head and shook his head. And, and I think, it, you know, maybe it made R.T. Kendall feel a little uncomfortable. And so he asked him again. And he took a deep breath. And he said, I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed at what you've all accomplished without God. 
Now, what he was speaking to, to my mind, would be the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And that just shows that there's a problem with our dependency on God as Christians. Because if we were more dependent on God rather than dependent on what we can do, then the Holy Spirit would drench every sanctuary of every church. Saturate the lives so much that there would be overflow of abundance of Holy Spirit. Who, who here thinks that's, that's a problem? I, I was ashamed and embarrassed. I was blown away. Kingdom success is not dependent on what you can accomplish, but what God can accomplish through you. Through you. It's our dependence on God that causes us to become successful and achieve greatness God's way. When we do it our way, it's temporary. Moth and rust will corrupt it. It'll pass away, but the things of God that are created by God are eternal. Amen? That's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. Christians are supposed to produce fruit. What kind of fruit are we producing today? Amen? Joshua was obedient. All right, so we talked about the dependency of Joshua on God, right? So when looking at his characteristics, we're looking at his dependency on God, which helped him to achieve greatness, which landed him a starring role in the Word of God. Cool, huh? So he was dependent on God, and he was obedient to the Word of God. Everybody say obedience. Everybody say obedience. Everybody say, I love that word. Stop lying. Because obeying the word of God is very difficult sometimes. What do we obey in our lives? I, I, I was at um, my wife's school. By the way, my wife is graduating on May 11th with her bachelor's degree in organizational management. I am so proud of my wife. She is absolutely amazing and hot to boot. But we were down by her school the, um, last week, and I walked into a store. You know, I had time to kill. I was waiting for her to finish her class. And uh, I walked into a store, and, you know, it's in the, in the village, very trendy, you know, funky type of area where, you know, people go to to do their shopping just a little bit south of Canal Street on Broadway. And I walked into a store, and there was an image that I've actually seen several times on bumper stickers. Somebody had actually painted a huge uh, image of it on the side of a building coming off the Sheridan Expressway. I have no clue what it's doing there. But it's a picture of a face of a man, and it's kind of black and white, so it looks like one of those butterfly pictures, you know, one of those psychological egghead pictures that they say, what do you see here? Oh, I see a picture 
of my little brother stirring cereal or something stupid. But so, and I walk into the store and I see pictures, um, I see t-shirts being sold and it's a theme, right? The theme is obey. Have you seen these t-shirts? All right, the youngins have seen it, hence me being old and feeling like I'm out of it. So the shirt says obey and it's a picture of a very stoic-looking man, kind of weird, creepy-looking dude, and there's a pentagram behind it. And the shirt says, Obey. By your response, I know that you feel like saying, What's up with that? What message are we getting in our world? What message are we getting from the media? What messages are we wearing on our T-shirts? Don't forget the world that we live in. Our God is not the God of this world. That's contrary to Scripture. The God of this world is the prince of the air, the prince of the powers of the darkness, and the rulers of the air. He is the God of this world. We are from another kingdom. Mm. Y'all ain't heard what I said. I said, we are from another kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Where there is truth and integrity and goodness and light and joy and peace. And eternal life. Amen? Somebody say amen. Amen. Joshua was interesting because he obeyed God. When they were crossing the river Jordan. The river. The river Jordan. He was instructed to put up a monument of 12 stones uh, to commemorate the occasion so that the generations that would follow after would see and they'd say, hey, what's that? And the older people would say, oh, that's when we crossed the River Jordan. That's when God did his thing and held up the water so that we could cross. Oh, by the way, the Red Sea wasn't the only time in the Bible where God held up the waters. If you haven't read it, then you got to read it. Read the book. Joshua also uh, obeyed God when God told him to circumcise all of the men that had come out of the wilderness. Fellas, I know this is not a popular decision, and I'm sure the men of the tribes of Israel were not happy. Not happy at all. But he was obedient, and so the other men followed. He was the example, and the other men followed. Mm, subliminal message. He was the example, and the other men followed. And so he circumcised the men that had come out of the wilderness because they had not been circumcised because they were brand spanking new. They had come out of the wilderness. Another thing he did was obey God when God gave him a ridiculous command. He said, in order to take out Jericho, this is what you got to do. Now listen closely. You have to go to Jericho, walk around once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, you walk around seven times and have your priests blow the ram's horns or the shofars, which were basically a ram's horn hollowed out. And you blow through it and it doesn't sound pretty at all. It doesn't really sound like a trumpet, but it's a... a, Huge sound. 
Does that sound like logical instructions to defeat a city whose walls were virtually impenetrable? Not at all. In fact, by human logic, it sounds just a little bit stupid. Now, I can say this because I'm a Christian. I know the Lord. I love the Lord. And I know how the story ends, which is really important because he actually obeyed. The walls fell down. The Israelites didn't have to lift a sword or swing a pickaxe or shoot a bulldozer at it. It came down on its own through God's supernatural power. Was Joshua obedient to God? Wouldn't you say that he was successful? Amen. He was obedient. Can I ask you a question? How can you be obedient to what you don't know? If, if, if you don't know the word of God, how can you be obedient to it? Man, I'm going to get beat up at the service today. First that Yankee thing and now this. Brother, oh, I'm good. She's got blue hair. She's not messing around. That's right. Blue hair signifies toughness exponentially. If Amanda's got my back, I ain't afraid. I ain't scared. <laughs> Throughout history, we've seen over and over again where the word of God has been suppressed. Amen? The rise of communism in, in the uh, late 18th and 19th centuries. Sorry, late 19th and 20th centuries. That whole thing is kind of confusing. But historically, communism tried to snuff out the Bible. Uh, religious persecutions... The Bible has even been suppressed in the name of Christianity, believe it or not. Did you know that? How nuts is that? Christians trying to keep Christians from reading the Bible. If you study the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, which we know is really the Roman Empire, they actually made it illegal for the common people of the world to read the Bible. If you were not endorsed by the Catholic priesthood, you could not read it. What were they afraid of? What's so important about this book? What's the big deal? Anyone? Anyone? Listen. When you're born again of the water and the spirit, and you know the word of God, you are unstoppable. You're a danger to the kingdom of darkness. I said you're a, you're a dangerous weapon in the hands of a mighty God who chooses to work through us in order to make things happen here on earth. Amen? If you know a little word, you're a little pistola. If you know a lot of word, you're a bazooka. If you actually have some of that word memorized, you're an atomic bomb. Amen? Let me introduce you to my little friend. Electronic little friend. Praise God. And, I, and I, I know I harp about this all the time. Every time I get up here, I go through this. And I tell you guys, you know, know the word of God for yourself. But let me tell you something right now. 
I do it every time because it's simply it's as simple as this. If I die on the way home tomorrow, or if I die, God forbid, in a, in a car accident this week, and if you, wherever it is that you go visit me or you go see Belinda, if you can say, man, the last thing I heard that brother say was, read my Bible, then I've been effective. I've been effective with the, plat- the, the platform that elder and pastor have given me. It's the most important thing, one of the most important things that you could do in your lifetime is read the Bible, know the Bible, understand the Bible, because that's how you know God. He gave us his word. Amen? It's the, it's the owner's manual for the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You want the key to unlock the power that the Holy Spirit has for us? It's in the word. Amen? It's an understanding who you are. Can we turn the fan on? We got people fanning themselves. <laughs> I didn't mean to embarrass you, but I don't want nobody sweating. And uh, I'm kind of sweating too. We need to know the word. I am amazed. Me personally, I'm amazed by some of the stupidity that people fall for. Christians in our world. Doctrines of devils. And I'm blown away because I think to myself, I hear, oh, look at this guy. Minister David, thank you so much. Good to see you walking around. That's our very own Minister David. He's been taking that foot and putting it in the devil's. I mean that very seriously. Victory. Healing and health in the body. That's our God. Amen. Love you, sir. And so if you don't know the word of God, you can get tricked. You can believe doctrines that have nothing to do with scripture. Or you can identify when people are twisting the scripture and tricking you into believing something that's wrong. Do you want to stand before God and say, well, I thought this was the right thing because pastor so-and-so or minister so-and-so said this was all about you. Do you want to stand in front of God and say something like that? I want, to, I want to stand before the Lord and say, that's what your word told me to do. That's what I did. Anything beyond that, I am not responsible for, Lord. Now, come on and hug me. Because I've been waiting to see you for a minute. Know it for yourself. Don't just read and listen to somebody else's interpretation. Listen, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. John chapter 16, 12 says, I, and this is Jesus speaking. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, who is the spirit of truth? Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, please forgive me if I say this wrong, el Espíritu Santo. The Holy Spirit. That's right. You were supposed to say it like that. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you... Tell you, tell who? Point to yourself and say, tell me things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Everybody point to yourself and say, me. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare, that's declare again. He's trying to make it clear to you if you read it, The Holy Spirit will show you. Don't be 
intimidated by the word of God. You can even understand King James. I guarantee it. All you got to do is meditate on it. Meditate on it. Now, I opened up a scripture that I think maybe you all think that I have forgotten about. Let's go back to Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Now, this is where I was pointing to today. All right, everybody say, get to the point, brother. And this is where your word comes in, Naisha. Now, we've talked about Joshua, and we've talked about the characteristics that he has. We've talked about, to my mind, would be two very important ones. There are many others. But the two that are really uh, stand out to me are his dependence on, dependency on God, how he depended on God his entire life, and his obedience to God. Amen? Amen? Now, as I said, as Christians, we should be producing fruit. Lifestyles produce something. Sometimes they cause God to move in a very interesting way. Everybody say, interesting way. Now, check this out. Where's that scripture, bro? Joshua chapter 5, 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, everybody say a man, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Everybody say a man with a sword in his hand. Un hombre. That they said, con un espada en el mano, la mano. A man with a sword in his hand. We have any other languages in the house we could say that in? A man with a sword in his hand. Right? Now at this point in the scripture, he's just a man with a sword in his hand. But there's something different because Joshua noticed him. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? It's a good question. You show up on the battlefield with, I think it was something like 40,000 soldiers, and there's a dude standing there with a sword in his hand you don't recognize. Uh, excuse me. Am I going to be fighting against you? Should I be watching my back? And he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Oh, good Lord, this is awesome. I'm shaking. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. That line tells us exactly who he is. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. Where have we seen that before? Burning bush? Moses? Now this is, this is an unprecedented event. Normally when God shows up on the scene... 
in the Old Testament, he shows up as a, what is it, minister, theophany? A theophany of God, right? So he shows up in the form of an angel. He shows up as a burning bush, the cloud, a pre-appearance. This time he showed up as a man. Ooh! With a sword in his hand. I don't remember seeing that anywhere else in the Old Testament. Obedience and dependency on God will cause him to move and to act in an unprecedented way. To show up. To handle what you cannot. Somebody ain't hearing me. The result of Joshua's obedience and dependency on God caused God to show up in an unprecedented way holding a weapon of warfare. Something we had not seen in the Old Testament at all. At all. At all. Naisha, because of your obedience... And because of your dependency on God, the Lord told me on Wednesday that he was going to show up. Now, I'm not saying we're going to see a man with a sword in his hand because that God that we're talking about today now lives inside of us and operates in a different way. But God's going to show up on that prayer walk. We're moving into a new territory. Our destiny is beginning to shift. We are now taking the ground that God has promised to us. And because of obedience, because of our dependency on God, because of your dependency on God, he's going to show up. Our young people that are praying and fasting, because of your dependency and falling on your face in the sight of God, he's going to show up. Ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to be more dependent on God. Come on, listen to me. It's time to be dependent. If you have not had to be dependent on God for anything, something is wrong. If you've experienced no opposition in your life from the enemy, from the forces of darkness, then something is wrong. If you are doing the right thing and following God the way you should be and getting on your face in his presence and seeking him with all of your heart and taking his word and living it, then you absolutely, positively must be experiencing some form of opposition that will cause you to depend on God. It's time to get shaken up and do something that is worthy of the devil's attention. Come on now. I want God to show up himself with a sword in his hand. Praise God. Hallelujah. Obedience. Everybody say obedience. Everybody say dependency. Got to have him. I've got to have him. 
He is my Savior, and I'm so thankful for deliverance. I am free because of Jesus, and I've got to have him. I've got to have more of him. He's got to saturate my life. He's got to be overflowing out of me so other people can feel and touch and taste that the Lord is good simply because I'm in the room. Our God is amazing. Our God is holy and our God is righteous. And in order to get to that place, there's got to be some obedience. And we've got to learn how to depend on him. I'm amazed by men of God who can slice the word of God 17 different ways and chop it up and be amazing. But I am blown away and admire more men of God who aren't that smart, who aren't that highfalutin, but are dependent on God and see God's hand in their life over and over again. That kind of stuff blows me away. God is not impressed with all of our stuff and all of our fluff. God is impressed by our faith. Faith. We've, we, Minister, thank you for that scripture because we've been singing that scripture all week long. Last Saturday I had my kids here with me. Uh, my wife was in school for 17 and a half hours. Well, maybe not that long, but it seemed like it. And uh, we, we, last Saturday, I made an attempt at speak, singing in Spanish. Si tuvieras fe, como un grano de mustaza, eso lo dice el Señor. Si tuvieras fe, como un grano de mustaza, eso lo dice el Señor. Tú le dirías a la montaña, muévete, muévete, tú le dirías. A la montaña, muévete, muévete. If we get into it, we won't be able to stop. Esa montaña se moverá. Esa montaña se moverá. Esa montaña se moverá. Esa montaña se moverá. Aleluya. It's time to operate in faith. Faith increases by the hearing of the word of God, by the reading of the word of God. Get it in you, and it will produce something that will force you to move, that will cause you to move. Hallelujah. How many people here are going are to vow to pray more? Raise your hand. Hallelujah. How many people here are going to vow to shut off the television more frequently? Personally, I want to take a baseball bat and put a hole through mine. I'm serious, man. <laughs> Come on, sister. I vowed to take my cable vision off, which I was planning to do. The truth to turn my cable box off. All things in balance. We have to balance our lives. Amen. I don't think you have to shut it off because then I'd be like really convicted because I just got cable. <laughs> but I hear you, Sister Rosa. I appreciate that. That's right. I did say being obedient was tough sometimes, right? If the Holy Spirit is convicting you to get rid of some stuff, get rid of it. 
in the long run, in the long run, what is it really costing you? Kingdom things last forever. Oh, that is so cool. They last forever. Temporary things fade away like dust in the wind. All of these shows that are on TV, they are so filled with demonic stuff anyway. I got to tell you, I've been learning a lot about imagery and symbols lately. And uh, if you just study a little bit, you'll realize that all of these shows are filled with witchcraft uh, symbols all over the place, like all over. Even in shows that you don't expect, cartoons. My kids watch cartoons sometimes that are on the Disney Channel, and they're just filled with demonic symbols. Don't believe me? Look for yourself. Open up a book and, you know, figure out what they're supposed to look like and then turn on the TV and you'll be like, oh, snap! The origins of some of these symbols are ghastly. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, obedience and dependence on God. God is calling us to be more dependent on Him. You know why there can be churches in Korea with 300,000 people? Because folks that live in towns and villages with no TV and no distractions easily, easily are able to get into the face of Almighty God. What does that say about us? We spoiled rotten. And when we don't have what we want, with the quickness, demanding spirit of entitlement, Let's move past the worldly junk and find our Father. 